You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Good morning, guys. That's the craziest song that we've had, the intro here, so getting, getting the beats going. Got Damien fired up, so that's good. Hey, if I've not met you yet, my name's Justin. I serve as the associate pastor here, and I know I haven't met a lot of you yet because I see tons of new faces, and so that's super exciting. Hope that you got to meet someone new, and man, we would really love it if you uh, found a home here at Midtown. So come say hi afterward. Uh, let me tell you more about the church. We'd love to meet you, and particularly if you're a college student, today we have free pizza lunch just right outside these doors out on the basketball court. So if you're a, a student, if you're a non-student, you could kind of pretend you're one and just kind of drop in and see what happens, but it's really supposed to be for the students, all right? Hope that you guys will take advantage of that. Before we begin the uh, sermon, I did want to make a few family announcements because yesterday we had our annual family gathering. So we kind of do our ministry year and our fiscal year from uh, September 1st to August 31st. And so usually the first week of September, we try to get as many people as we can from our body together and celebrate what God did in the last year and then look forward to what we're planning in the year ahead. And so if you weren't there, there are a few really cool things that I wanted to just let you in on real quick so we can celebrate since you didn't get to yesterday. And if you got to yesterday, you can celebrate twice. So first is that Rob Walton is our new elder. So this is Rob Walton. Yep. And today's also, he's defending his uh, second in a row uh, fantasy football championship. So he's very, just check in, make sure he stays humble. As an elder, he has an extra responsibility now for humility. Um, and then one thing that I really wanted to share that I thought was uh, super exciting, as you guys heard us, uh, you know that we're a family. We like to be real honest about how we're doing our family business and what's going on in our body. And so at the end of June, we informed you guys that we were about $13,500 behind in our budget with two months left. And so we just said, man, let's all prayerfully consider giving and seeing what God would do. And then you wouldn't believe it, but at the end of uh, August, we ended up being $7,500 ahead of budget. Isn't that awesome? So we're, we're grateful. And really, really thankful for everyone who gave. And there were people that are some Midtown alumni who were part of our church that gave in from the outside, uh, which is really cool. And I just want to say thanks. And, and more than saying thanks, I want to say, like, this is significant. Like, it's not just a matter of, like, meeting our needs going into this next new year. It really, it really says something about your commitment to the Lord. It says a lot, too, about your commitment to this body and the vision that we have and what we're trying to accomplish together. And so more than anything, I think... That's what it says to me. It makes me feel really excited about where we are as a spiritual family right now. So wanted to give you those updates. And so why don't I start uh, this morning with a word of thanks. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for all that you've done this last year. And it really was great yesterday to, to gather many of us at this family gathering. And here's testimonies and stories of what you did in people's lives and through people's lives last year. And to, and to be able to rejoice together that you, that you rallied around and you, you, we met our budget. Uh, so fun to see, God. It's a joy to be part of this family and pray that uh, today we would just be full of thanks and giving you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. So we're continuing our series, Abide, Life with God. This is the third in the series, and we've been talking about the incredible truth that God wants to be with us, that God wants to actually have us live life with Him, and that while we're here on earth, we get to have a, a relationship, a personal relationship with God. And so we're going to talk more about that today. And really, we've been going to this one verse in 1 Peter, which really succinctly says what Jesus has done for us in bringing us to be with God. In 1 Peter, here we say, for Christ suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Like that is the purpose of what Jesus did when he came and he lived and he died and he rose again, 
paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be in a personal relationship with God and live life with God on this earth and then ultimately live eternally with God forever. That's what's offered to us here. And that's what we've been talking about. But we said that the thing that's really great about this relationship, but there's also obstacles, things that get in the way when we try to pursue this relationship with God. So the first week we looked at the obstacle of busyness. And now sometimes we can just be so busy that we don't make time to develop our relationship with God. And last week, Jake talked again about uh, the, the obstacle of dependence, that we can be kind of independent rather than being dependent, or we can be prideful, and that serves as an obstacle. And so today we're going to talk about the obstacle of invisibility. Invisibility, right? So this is really an obstacle if you think about it, right? Because that's one thing that's unique about our relationship with God that's unlike any other relationship we have, right? It's that this is our invisible God, that we don't get to see him. And you don't have any other relationships like that in your life, right? Unless you're my wife, because she actually has some invisible friends, or I'll say she had some invisible friends growing up. So as we started dating... It happened that I just kind of got to know her family a little bit, and one of the stories that came out was that she had these two friends when she was about three years old. She lived in Ethiopia. Her dad was a professor there um, at a university there. She lived in Ethiopia, so I don't know if it was that her older brothers were just too old for her and ignored her, or maybe it was like she was in a different culture, so she didn't speak the language, or she had a baby brother that was born in Ethiopia. She must not have got much attention because she developed these two friends named Ebertson and Herbertson. Now, these are these two friends that she's been known to like be talking with, and her parents would regularly overhear her talking with these imaginary friends and playing with them. And naturally, they're twins, um, so they were really hard to tell apart, <laughs> even you know, given the names. But the, the harder part was that Ebertson was good and Herbertson was bad. And so they would tempt her to do good things or bad things, and sometimes she'd have to, she was overheard actually scolding Herbertson for her behavior, <laughs> or blaming, you know, she had to have like a fall guy or fall girl in her case. Whenever she got in trouble, she could always blame Herbertson. It was her, it was her imaginary friend. Pretty weird, right? <laughs> Maybe for a three-year-old, it's kind of not so weird, but here we are, I'm 46, and I believe that I have a relationship with a God that I can't see. I talk with him, and I believe that he talks with me. And we can develop a relationship with this invisible God. And we have to say, in some degree, that is an obstacle, right? It makes sense that it would be like, wow, how, do I, how is this relationship different? And today we're going to look at what Jesus said, and then really what some of his followers later said, but a promise that Jesus gave, and then what the, the, the followers of Jesus actually experienced what Jesus promised. And he promised something really wild, because on the night that he was with them, knowing that, knowing that he was about to die... He was knowing that he was not going to be with them forever. And so he gives them this promise to say, though you won't see me, you will see me. And so that's what we're going to look at together and talk about this invisible nature of God. I know that they thought it was an obstacle just like we might think it's an obstacle because the Apostle John, when he's writing his letter in 1 John, this is what he says at the start of it. He says, that which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. See, John's writing a second generation of believers who weren't the ones that actually saw Jesus. And John is saying, I'm proclaiming to you what I've seen, what my hands have touched. Like, I, I was with Jesus, and I'm proclaiming this to you so that you can believe. And then he says, though, that those who believe, he wants them to have a fellowship with the Father and with the Son. He's telling them, this is possible. I've seen him, but you may not have seen him, but you can have a relationship with this invisible God. 
John was a really uh, unique writer in the, compared to the other Gospels, particularly on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He actually records a ton of conversations. Uh, you can get it from John 13 through John 17, just all these great conversations that Jesus had with his followers on the night that he knew he was going to be betrayed. In John chapter 14, he goes into a great explanation of the fact that he's going to be leaving them. And this is where we get this promise that I mentioned earlier. Let's look at how John explains it, or John tells the story in John chapter 14. It says, if you love me, this is Jesus speaking to his followers, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has this command and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Let's go back to the start there in verse 15. He's promised, this is the promise, that he will give you another, an advocate, advocate that's going to be the spirit of truth. And so Jesus promises, I'm not going to be here, but I'm sending one to be with you. And what is the spirit of truth going to do? It's going to actually live in you. It's going to live in you. He says, I will live in you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. So he's telling them, like, you're not going to physically see me. And the world that doesn't have faith and isn't following me, hasn't put their faith in me, they don't see me either. But to those who put their faith in me, I'm going to show myself to them. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus would give us and send this advocate, a Holy Spirit, to indwell us so that though we don't see him, we do see him. We do experience him. It enables us to have a personal relationship with God because of the spirit that he's left and put inside of us. Now, this word advocate, it really has it's a Greek word, paraclete. It really just means helper. It's like a helper. And so the ultimate purpose of the Holy Spirit is to help us experience and know God. That's what Jesus promised these guys. You're not going to see me, but you're going to see me because I'm sending my spirit who will show me to the world and to you. This is the Holy Spirit. Now, you could do like a whole uh, 10-part series on the Holy Spirit, like if you really wanted to dive in, like who is the Holy Spirit, this third person of the Trinity? And so we're not going to do that today, but I did want to give you just from Jesus' words that very night what he explained about the Holy Spirit, at least six different things that we know about the Holy Spirit, just to give you an idea of what he promised. The first is that he promised that the Holy Spirit would indwell us. We just read it in verse 17, but you will know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. This is what's promised, that Jesus, when we put our faith in him, that we're indwelt with the Spirit. Now, there's a difference between being indwelt and being filled with, and we're going to talk about that at the end of today. But he promises that those who put their faith in him, that his spirit indwells them. And so all of us today who have put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides inside of us. And the New Testament uses words like it's a deposit, it's a guarantee, or it uses words that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So when the Spirit comes inside of us, when we put our faith in Jesus, we have it forever. It's our deposit guaranteeing what's going to come. Second thing that he says that night when he's talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is what convicts us. In verse uh, 7 of John 16, he says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away, and unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. 
One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to provide the conviction in our hearts when we're tempted. We can sing like the song we just sang, Team Try Heart to Sing Your Praise. When temptation comes my way, it's a spirit that tells us, oh, God's checking me right here. It's also the spirit that convicts us when we do sin and fall short of the glory of God, that we can come back to him and, and repent and be, believe again. The Spirit's job is to provide conviction. In fact, before any of us put our faith in Christ, it was a Spirit not yet indwelling us, but the Spirit outside of us that moved our hearts with the conviction that we needed a Savior. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring conviction. Jesus said so that night with his followers. He also said, third, that the Holy Spirit is there to guide us. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears and will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit is what reveals the truths of God to us. The Holy Spirit is who we lean upon. When we're reading God's word and we're spending time with him, it's the spirit that we're asking and the spirit that's moving and teaching us and guiding us. It's a spirit that gives us direction when we ask for help and wisdom. It's a spirit that when we gather on a Sunday morning, you often hear me pray that I'll say something like, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Let's pray that your spirit would do what only you can do because it's a spirit that's active upon the proclamation of his word and it's his spirit that's doing the work and guiding us and teaching us. Fourth is that the Spirit is what changes us. This is John 15, remain in me as I, as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, but it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, this time he's not directly talking about the Spirit like he does in John 14 and John 16, but given that those are the two bookends of this whole conversation, it's kind of implied that this is the Holy Spirit, that when we abide, like we're talking about here, when we abide in Christ, that that's the spirit that's doing the changing, the work, the producing of fruit in our lives. Like we can't change ourselves, but it's the spirit of God residing in us that brings that conviction and guides us. And as he can brings conviction and guides us, he changes. He changes us to make us more Christ-like, which we'll look at actually in just another minute. Fifth, the Holy Spirit empowers us. I cheated a little bit here because this is not a verse from that last conversation that he had with his disciples before he died. This is actually the conversation he had right before he, after he rose from the dead and before he ascended to heaven. So still, it was a final conversation. And in Acts 1.8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be our witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The spiritual role is what actually empowers us to do ministry. So when we're trusting God and we're taking a step out of faith and trying to tell someone about Jesus or talk to them about our faith and we're, we're going out to serve in some part of the community, we're not doing that in our own strength. We're relying upon the Spirit to be the one that empowers us and moves us and does the work. It's not our work, it's His work that He's doing, but He's doing it through us. And finally, and maybe most importantly, the Holy Spirit is sent to glorify God. Back to John 16, that last night when Jesus was with His followers, He says this, He will glorify me because it is from me that He will receive what He will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. You see this great kind of dance, as uh, Tim Keller calls it, a dance of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all interacting and all giving glory to each other and all contributing in different ways to what God's doing in the world with their aim, solely purpose, is to glorify each other. And so ultimately, the Spirit's power, by its conviction, by its guidance, uh, by its changing us, by its empowerment, all of that ultimately is for the glorification of God and to point to him as the one who's done the work. So this is the Holy Spirit. This is whom those of us who put faith in Christ indwells us and enables us to have a personal relationship with God because we can walk with him, we can talk with him, 
And this invitation that he's called us to abide with him and to live life with him can only be done through the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, these guys, they're hearing this for the first night, right? So they're hearing it, they're trying to understand it, but they're really going to understand it when it actually happens. And so if you were to continue reading in your Bible past John and get into Acts in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit actually falls upon all the disciples. And from that point on, believers, when they put their faith in Christ, they receive the Spirit at that time. But for them now, they're taking Jesus' words and they're, they're looking back at it and saying, this is what Jesus said, this is what he promised. And now they're actually, as you read the New Testament, past the Gospels, you're seeing them in many of the, many of the books of the New Testament, they're explaining now how this works. Like Jesus promised it, we hadn't experienced it yet, but now we've experienced it. And now we know a bit about what it looks like to walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit and to pursue a relationship with God because of what he's put inside of us in the Spirit. And so you're going to get a lot of different books in the New Testament that talk about that. One of the greatest ones is, is the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, there were these people who had begun by putting their faith in Christ, and this, and this church was doing really well, but then they started to get caught up in believing that they could earn their righteousness back by, by following the rules. They started to move away from what Paul would say as he's writing this letter, move away from living by the Spirit and instead trying to obey laws by themselves. And so much of the book is actually just front-loaded. The first four chapters are just all truth statements, truth statements about how the Spirit has indwelled us and how God has called us His sons and He's, he's brought us into His family. All these truths to say this is what, this is how you walk with Him, not by obeying simple rules and trying to earn your way back to God. And so you finally get to chapter 5 when he's given some instruction, and he goes right to talking about the Spirit and how we need to walk with the Spirit. In chapter 5, verse 16 of Galatians, Paul, now having experienced the Holy Spirit himself, like Jesus promised, he would write them and say this, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're at conflict with each other so that you do not do, or you, you don't, so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. This idea of walking in the Spirit is actually kind of a, translated, is actually more like walking, like continual walking is how it would be better translated, translated in the Greek. So this idea that we can actually walk in the Spirit, walking with God. You've heard that term before. This is really probably the scripture where we get that term from. We're walking with God, we're walking with the Spirit. And this is where the difference comes in between indwelling and filling of the Holy Spirit. Because once we put our faith in Christ, we're permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit, yet we can continue to grow and be filled with the Spirit by learning to walk with Him. I'm super thankful for my uh, spiritual heritage. I came to faith in high school through um, Campus Crusade, or now it's called Crew, uh, through their high school ministry. And if you've been a part of Crew or know much about them, they're really famous for this one book that they had, like way back in the, in the 50s and 60s. And called The Four Spiritual Laws. Maybe some of you heard of The Four Spiritual Laws. Like, that's how I came to faith. This guy sat down with me, and he shared this little booklet with me. And that's part of what led me to trusting him. But what, what, the one thing that's really not noted, known for crew is they had a second book. Do you all know the blue book? So there was a book, the one called The Blue Book, which was really, the title of it was How to Be Filled with the Spirit. And I'm so thankful that the guy who led me to faith and then started to disciple me and care for me spiritually, one of the first things he did is he walked me through this little blue booklet. And it talked about how there's people who put their faith in Jesus and once you, once you put your faith in Jesus, you belong to God. You're relationally connected. He's your father. You're his son. You're his daughter. But they talked about, there's, then there's those who haven't done that, but the, the book says there's actually a third category, and it's people who have put their faith in Jesus, but they're not filled with the Spirit because they're walking in rebellion against him. And, it, and he talked to what they called spiritual breathing. It's the idea that you're constantly going to be like this, in this war that's described here in Galatians. 
There's going to constantly be this war. Just because you put your faith in Christ doesn't mean there's not going to be a war with your flesh, your passions, your desires, your lusts, your coveting. There's things in you that still strive to sin. But what it's saying is that the power of the Spirit is what can enable you then to be free from that. But when you do fall prey to those things, what my, my God led me to the Lord taught me to do is he said you do what's called spiritual breathing. Just like you breathe out the bad stuff and you breathe in the oxygen, he says what you do is you just simply, when you fall out of fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you just ask him to fill you again and you bring your confession to him. And so they described it this way, that your relationship with God can never be broken. When you put your faith in him, you're his son, you're his daughter, your relationship's never broken, but your fellowship with God can be broken because you can walk in sin and an unconfessed sin develops a brokenness in your fellowship with God, though your relationship is never harmed. And so I was taught at a very young age in high school that what I had to do when I did that is just claim 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's how I breathe out. And then I breathe in, asking him to fill me with the spirit, to give me power to walk in the freedom that's described in these verses. And to begin, step back into walking in the spirit. I'm so thankful that that's what I learned because that's exactly what this passage teaches and it's what it means for all of us today, what it looks like to walk in fellowship with God, this relationship with God. It's going to be a period of spiritual breathing and fighting temptation, but relying on the Spirit to be the one that changes us and makes us more Christ-like. I love the end there, that verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Really, the whole book of Galatians in that verse real specifically does just a tremendous job of summing up the two ways that people try to pursue God. There's usually two ways. The, the law means I'm going to try to follow these rules so that I can get close to God. But what Paul is arguing is the, the spirit is much different. The spirit is saying, God has already drawn close to me. He's come close to me. So now my heart wants to follow him and wants to obey. So you can call it like religion versus relationship. And what we're invited into is not a religion where we follow rules to try to get close to God. We're we follow, we're called into a relationship with God because he's come near to us. And this relationship with God can only be lived out by walking in the spirit. If you think about these verses there in the, the battle of your flesh, can you, can you be honestly and think maybe, think maybe if you ever found yourself in a, a, a particular fight with your spouse or a roommate and it's like the continual same fight, like you're like, how does this keep happening? It's the same, same argument over and over again. How can you get past that? It's by learning to walk in the Spirit. Perhaps you've felt yourself um, prone to some particular uh, habitual sin or addiction, and you wrestled with it, and you've tried in your own strength, and you've maybe tried to rely on the Spirit, and you've failed, and you've come back, and you've hopefully practiced spiritual breathing. What you need to do to have victory over that sin is, is learning to stay in step with the Spirit. Or maybe you really have a hard time controlling your emotions, and for whatever reason, you've got uh, bitterness or or envy, or, or lust, or worry, or anxiety, and you just, you just want to be free from that. You can be, but it's, it's by learning how to walk in the Spirit. And you could go on and list any number of things. In fact, that's what Paul does next. If you go on in the book of Galatians, he says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's trying to paint a picture for what it looks like to walk out of step with the Spirit. These people aren't in step with the Spirit because they're controlled 
by these things, but then he goes on to these very famous verses that describe the opposite of what it looks like to walk in the Spirit and what will be produced in you when you learn to stay in step with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, in other words, he's saying, since we are indwelt by the Spirit, let us stay in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is what's promised for the person who's learning how to walk in the, in the Spirit, that they will be free to produce these things, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Like, that's what the Spirit produces when we learn to walk with Him. And this is what Jesus promised and what He's provided for us as a helper. We have this advocate. We have a helper to help us grow in these areas. We have a helper to help us connect with God. And though He's invisible, we can see Him because of the work of the Holy Spirit and our relationship with God as we learn to walk and step with Him. Let me make two quick concessions before we move on. One is that I'm not talking like about a three-step fix. I'm not saying like, do this, do this, do this, and you'll have all those fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> like, growing spiritually takes a lot of work. Second concession, I'll say, is that, that we all come from different starting places. Some of you are very fortunate that you grew up in a, ham, a family that, that happened to really practice the fruit of the Spirit, and you witnessed it, and so it become easier for you to live life in that. Others of us didn't have that, and for whatever reason, we all come from different places. It's important to think about where you've come from and where you've, where you've grown and where you are compared to other people. And so, I want to get those two things aside, but as I take those two concessions aside, let me just ask a quick question. Do you want this? Like, do you want the spiritual fruit in your life? Do you want to see yourself filled with the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, and bearing this kind of fruit, being free from brokenness and relationships and control of your emotions and free from habitual sins? Like, you have to walk in step with the invisible God through the Holy Spirit to do that. Let me ask a more important question, because it's really the most important one, is do you want to, to have a personal relationship with God like that? Like, do you want to know God personally and have a fellowship with the Holy Spirit where he's changing your life, he's leading and he's guiding, he's doing all the things we pointed to before, he's bringing the conviction, he's giving the guidance, he's changing you, he's empowering you. Like, these are the things that the Spirit can produce in you. Do you want that? That's the reward. What would you think about if a year from now, could you imagine your life being radically different? Just think, just a year. What if you said, like, a year, could you imagine that you'd be bearing some of this fruit? Or would you, what would you think? What would you like, like, a year from now to be able to point to, to your relationship with God and say, man, my relationship with God next September is so different from it is right now? because I've gone to experience him by walking in the Spirit. I was thinking about the, the Hebrew names of, of God in, in the Old Testament and thought, what would it look like if next year you could point to Jehovah as being Jehovah Ra, which means God, our shepherd, that you could point to having experienced and felt the love of God and the care of God and the shepherding of God in your life. I thought about uh, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. What would it look like if a year from now you could say, no, I've experienced God come through and provide for me in ways because I've walked with the Spirit and I've trusted Him and seen Him provide, or maybe it's Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, 
And you could point to something in your life and say, man, this year I've really walked closely with God. I've pursued him and I've walked and kept in step with the spirit and I've seen God produce healing in my life. Or Jehovah Shalom, God that's our peace. What would it look like if you learned to walk in the spirit such a degree that next year you could point your life and say, man, I'm at such peace. My life is filled now with peace and patience instead of anxiety and, and angst. Or maybe you want to experience God as El Shaddai, which means almighty. Maybe you've stepped out walking in the spirit and trusted God to empower you to do some sort of ministry and you've seen him do some great work through you. And you said, man, I've experienced God in a whole new way. This year, I've seen friends start to follow Jesus with me. Like, do you want that? Do you want to have that kind of intimacy, relationship with the Holy Spirit that God's provided for you? Might beg the question then, how? <laughs> how do we learn to walk in the Spirit? And I'll take us to one more scripture in 1 Thessalonians, which I think is a really clear idea about how to walk with the Spirit in kind of a backwards way. It talks about how not to. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what's good, reject every kind of evil. So Paul gives kind of some clues as to what it looks like to walk in the Spirit, but he definitely gives some very direct commands and ideas about what it looks like not to walk in the Spirit. And he starts with this command, don't quench the Spirit. So as much as we can actually walk in step with the Spirit, there's things that we can do that can actually quench what God is doing. So if the Spirit is doing His work of bringing conviction or giving you guidance, like you can walk in step with it or you can reject it. And particularly the way that he says that you do reject it is when you show contempt for the prophecies. He says there next, don't treat prophecies with contempt. Now, at this point in the New Testament, prophecies generally don't mean like foretelling. Sometimes they do, but mostly it's a word that's used. Like if you were to go back and read 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's talking about prophecy in the church, and it's really just teaching instruction, when people come with teaching and instruction. And so there's a way that you can get teaching and instruction where the Spirit can be speaking to you, and you can quench it. You can reject it. You cannot want to go the way that God is telling you. And that's what he's saying there. Contempt, of course, is just the idea of devaluing something, right? It's not giving something the authority that it deserves. You probably most, that's a word we don't use very often, right? Contempt, you, except you're like, you're in contempt of court. Like, that's when we use it, right? And what does that mean? If you're in contempt of court, it means that you have shown no, uh, you've, you've given the, the judge, the court, no authority. Like, you're not respecting the authority of the court. And I think what it's saying here, one of the ways that we quench the spirit is when we don't give God's word the authority that it deserves. Like, we don't give God's word the authority that it deserves to be the authority in our life. That's treating the word of God with contempt. And to state it one other way, it's not necessarily just like rejection of it. It can be neglect of it. Like, we can just neglect it. Like, we would all probably, most of us in here would say at some, at some level, at least theologically, we'd say, yes, I believe this is authoritative word of God and I want to live my life by it. But are you, are you reading the Bible regularly? Like, are you going to it? I'm just here to say, like, you, you can't stay in step with the Spirit unless you're in God's Word and you're doing what it says here, not treating it with contempt, but rather going to it to test it and let it test you and to, and to see and what things to reject and what things to take in and what it is that God is speaking to you through the Holy Spirit. Like, if we want to have this intimate relationship with, with God, then we have to start by spending time in his word and giving it the authority that it deserves in our life. And while it's not directly uh, 
attached to quench the spirit. I think it's pretty obvious here. If you read the first few commands here, it gives us another thing that we can do to walk in the spirit. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. We can actually rejoice. We can pray. We can give thanks. We can worship God. And we pray. How often? <laughs> continually. Give thanks always. Thanks in every circumstances. That this is what it looks like to walk in the spirit is not only to show God's word authority and treat it seriously and let it be the authority in our lives. It also means that we are constantly in fellowship and talking and listening to God, talking with and listening to God, praying continually, giving thanks in all circumstances. So welcome to Midtown Church. Today, your pastor told you you need to read the Bible and pray. There you go. You didn't expect that, did you? Really novel. But I'm here to tell you that's, that's the core of what it looks like to walk and step with the Spirit is going to God's word and going to God in prayer. And I would just say to all of us, like if, if when I was trying to like get you to imagine a little bit earlier, like imagine what your life could be like a year from now, imagine the intimacy that you could have with God or imagine the fruit that could bear up in your life, the way that God could use you, none of it's gonna happen if we're not spending time in God's word and spending time in prayer. Those are those two hugest catalysts to what it means to walk and step with the spirit. So, you might be thinking, um, I want to do that. I'm just not sure I know how. Like, I need some guidance. And I'm here to tell you we're going to do that. We're going to provide some guidance. And so one of the things that I get to do here this morning that we did yesterday that I'm really excited about is we get to share with you guys what our next year-long goal is. One of the things that we do here at Midtown Church, I know there's a lot of new faces here, so I'll just tell you that, that every year as we kind of get into the summer, the staff and the elders and the, many of the leaders and Midtown community leaders and our huddle leaders and discipleship leaders, we go through series of conversations with them just to help discern, like, how are we doing as a church? And maybe what's something this next year we could really make it our aim to grow in? And this year, it came back with really predominant feedback that one of the things that we want to do and grow in is pursuing an intimate relationship with God. And so to help toward that end, we've developed uh, this year-long goal. In order to more fully know and be compelled by God, we commit to connect with God by developing two healthy spiritual habits. That's what we want to do this year. We want to encourage everyone who's part of our body to develop two habits, two things that will help you grow in your keeping in step with the Spirit. And to that end, we've actually uh, defined a spiritual habit, so you'll know what it is. Here's, here's our definition. A healthy spiritual habit is a spiritual practice, discipline, or rhythm developed at, uh, to meaningfully connect with and get to know God. There are mere means to an end, the end being enjoyable, obedient fellowship with God and the experience of a healthy soul. Y'all want to join us in this goal? Like what we want to do is we want to say, man, let's as a church pursue a relationship with God by just developing some habits. And to help toward that end, we've actually got these healthy habit guides that we're going to pass out here. If you received one at the family gathering, no need to grab another one, um, unless you lost it already, um, then you could grab another one. Um, but we're going to pass these out, and we're not going to like walk through it right now, but we really want each of you guys to take these home and to consider joining us on this goal. Let me answer just a few questions about it before, before we end our time together. This is a little different. We don't do this every Sunday for all you new people here. This is like kickoff Sunday for us. So it's an NFL kickoff Sunday. It's Midtown kickoff Sunday. We, uh, like I said, we, we developed this goal, and then we launched it yesterday at our all-family gathering. We're launching it here today. And I want to tell you a little bit more about it and then how you can prayerfully consider joining us. So 12 habits, we, we the staff over the summer decided that we were going to pick 12 habits. And so you'll see that this guide has 12 habits, uh, devotions, 
meditation, Bible study, Bible memory, Sabbath, daily office prayer, fasting, corporate prayer, thanksgiving, serving, giving, and hospitality. First thing I'll say, there's far more than 12 healthy habits. So don't feel bound by these things. These are just the ones that the staff, as we prayed about it, we felt led to direct us to. We wanted to give you guys kind of a menu so that we're not necessarily all doing the same thing because each of us, in keeping in step with the Spirit, needs to go hear from God about what would be the things that would be most um, catalyzing to your spiritual life personally. Maybe you're doing one of them really well already, and so your challenge would be, I want to I step up and do a different one and trust God with something else. I'll also say kind of from the front, you're not limited to two. We just thought that two was a good number because it's more than one and it's less than three. I don't know why I said that, but we, you don't feel limited by two. Uh, you can actually pursue this however you want. Don't feel limited to these 12. Don't feel limited to two. But we really encourage you to prayerfully decide like, yeah, these are two habits that I want to take on this year. Students, I know you're just now getting your schedule set, and so this is a good time for you to think, what am I going to do and how am I going to fit in one of these habits to spend my time with God? Let me real quickly uh, give you a timeline for some things that we're doing. What we're asking everyone to do is this week is to pray, to really take this guide and pray and say, God, if I want to keep in step with the Spirit, what are the things that I should do in this coming year? What are the habits that you would have me develop? It could be that God leads you to develop two of them for a couple months, and maybe you want to try all 12, one each month. So we're, there's no restrictions to this. This is just a guide to get you going. But during this week, we want you to pray about what you're going to do. And then what we're going to encourage everyone to do, if you're willing, is on, on Thursday of this week, we're going to fast. So we're going to encourage everyone to have whatever, whatever dinner you have on Thursday, if not have a meal again until the next Friday, and then we're going to break our fast together at Central Market at 6 o'clock. You're welcome to join us to break our fast together and talk about how the day of fasting was and how the week of praying into what your habits would be. And then next Sunday, uh, at the end of service, during communion, we're actually going to have you turn in. You'll see in the, in the Healthy Habits Guide, there's a little card in there where you can commit to the things that you're going to plan to be your healthy habit. And so next Sunday, at the end of worship, we're actually going to turn those in. It's just kind of a, a commitment, kind of a symbolic commitment together. We're not, we're not taking track of those or anything like that. It's just kind of a symbolic way for us to say, yes, we're in on this. We're going to develop some healthy habits this next year. If you're new here this morning, uh, I do want to say that you're welcome to join us in this. Uh, we'd love it if, if you join our church and, and partner with us. If God leads you to another church and you're just checking other churches out, you're still free to join us. We hope that this would be something that you develop uh, no matter where uh, God leads you. But as a family, this is our goal for the year. Like we're going to pursue some healthy habits so that we can stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Here's the aim. The aim very clearly is to get to know God and experience him. Like, that's what we want for Midtown. That's what we want for you, for you to develop a relationship with God so you experience him. And though he's invisible, Jesus' promises would be true for you, that you'd say, nope, I see him. I know him. He's in me. And to do that, it starts with all of these, you'll see, will point you to the authority of Scripture, the importance of prayer, and different ways that you can do that. The benefit is it'll change your lives. Like when we say that we're a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other in Austin with God, when we say our goal is to see you today when every man, woman, and child in Austin can hear the gospel from someone who loves them, we know that that can't happen apart from us staying in step with the Spirit. And so we're convinced that, that not only will this bear fruit in our relationship with God, it's going to overflow into the way that we love each other and love our city. We're excited about the benefits of it, but Jesus is the one that we want. As we go into our time of uh, communion right now, um, I want us to be reminded again that God did this for us. 
If we go back to this verse that we read at the very start in 1 Peter, we go back to this. Christ suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, for the purpose of bringing us to God. And so as we take communion, let's remember that when Jesus promised the Spirit, that was on the night that he actually gave communion to his followers. He promised his Holy Spirit was going to come and dwell with them, and he also promised that he was going to die, that it was going to be his body that was broken, it was his blood that was spilled that was going to allow them to be with God and even receive the promised Holy Spirit, and that we could live life with God here and live life with God in eternity, like it's his work. So as we take communion, let's remember that it's his work and let's thank him that he's brought us. We're also going to sing some songs during this last set, and in many of these songs, we're going to actually tell God that we want to have this kind of relationship with him. So I'd encourage you to engage in the singing and let your heart be open to telling God that you want to know him this way in this coming year. We practice open communion, so anyone can come to the front or to the back during this next uh, set of worship songs. You can take it uh, on your own. If you've not yet to put your faith in Christ, we'd ask that you would actually refrain and then receive communion for the first time at the time that you might be ready to actually put your faith in him. I want to pray for us and let's enjoy some worship and tell God that we want to know him. God, we're excited about this goal uh, because it's really all about you. You're, you're the goal. <laughs> we want to know you and we, we want to know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we know you, we want it to produce fruit in our lives and in the lives of all those that we touch. I ask that you would, this year, at Midtown Church, create in us a hunger for you, desire to know you. And when you, just by your grace, use these uh, healthy habits to bring us all closer to you. Uh, this week, as we pray and consider which ones we would take on, just invite you, Spirit, to, to speak to each person. Let it be a conversation of our Midtown communities and our friendships. Let this be a fun year that just, that just drives us closer to you and holding each other uh, lovingly accountable to pursuing habits like these. Ask, Lord, that you'd meet us even in this time of worship and show us that we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.